The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. Hello, my friends, and welcome to another exciting episode of Negotiate Anything. Negotiate Anything is produced by the American Negotiation Institute. And with over 3 million downloads and listeners in over 180 countries, listeners just like you have made it the number one negotiation podcast in the world. I'm Kwame Christian, and I'm the director of the American Negotiation Institute. We're growing, and I want to introduce you to our new team members and new trainers. This will give you new and diverse perspectives on negotiation and conflict resolution. And that's why Shane Martin, our head of sales and partnerships, is going to serve as co-host of the show from time to time. We're excited to continue to provide you with the best content that will help to make your difficult conversations easier, both at work and at home. Lastly, our team conducts negotiation and conflict resolution trainings in the United States and abroad. Our trainings will give you the practical skills you need to resolve conflict, negotiate, lead, and persuade with confidence. Click the link in the description below to learn more about how we can make your difficult conversations easier. Claudia, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Yes, it is great to have you, my friend. So how about you get us started by telling us a little bit about yourself and what you do? Okay. So I teach leadership and I'm at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill at the Gillings School of Global Public Health. And I work with leaders mostly in mid-career to later career, but sometimes graduate students to help them build the kind of sophisticated and nuanced tools that they need to be able to get a bunch of human beings to work together, a bunch of human beings who have all kinds of different needs and different ideas and get everybody moving in the same direction to work collaboratively to achieve something great together. And that is just not a skill that most people are born with, my friend. Yes, that is true. And um, good for us because now we're in business. <laughs> we have something to do. And so can you tell the listeners about how we got to know each other too? Yes. So your fame precedes you. And uh, we we checked you out and found out how fantastic you are at helping people understand the skills for managing difficult conversations around some of the most difficult issues that are facing us today, particularly around things like equity and how do we talk about really uncomfortable situations, like how to be comfortable in conflict, right? And so we asked you to come in and teach in three, actually, of my programs, two national programs and one global program in leadership. So that's that's how we got together and found out that we have so much in common. Yes, yes. It was a lot of fun. And it was fun working with you and the team setting things up and also fun working with the folks in the actual session. I, I And, you know, I love it when people participate and ask great questions. And uh, there was a lot of excitement in the chats and in the conversation, too. So it was fun for me as well. Yeah, our fellows don't tend to be quiet. They tend to be very empowered. So that's it's just a great way for them to learn in a give and take. That's great. And one of the things we were just discussing, too, was the impact of the training. And so after the training, when you were working with the, the folks and um, seeing the results, what changes did you see in the way that they interacted with each other? 
Well, people found your session incredibly motivating and the skills and the tools that you shared to be really essential to what they do every day. The leaders that I work with tend to be healthcare leaders. They tend to be leaders in academic organizations. And the nature of their lives is to try to transform what would be a very difficult or uncomfortable conversation into a conversation that is... Um, collaborative, that we can explore different issues, that we can come together to create new opportunities and new approaches. So they're trying to transform conflict and turn that into a really constructive dialogue. And so the kind of things that we were hearing was how people went back and applied that to their leadership projects or went back or and applied it to particularly equity kinds of conversations back at work. Yep. This is great. And so now let's step into your role as the one of the leaders in the program and the uh, an executive coach. When you think about the things that people often do unwittingly that are problematic in their leadership when it comes to communicating effectively and resolving con conflict effectively, what do you think those key mistakes are that people need to avoid? Oh, that's a great question. You know, I think the number one mistake that I see is that people come to conflict and expect that this is going to be a logical dialogue because the data is right in front of us and the data leads us to very logical solutions, one, two, and three. Why don't we try those, get some, some more data on how this is going to work, find the best strategy and move forward. And when those human beings who are complex people come to conflict, they don't bring just their logical mind, they bring their whole selves. And so when the leaders that I'm working with are having to talk through conflict, having to deal with difficult conversations, the number one mistake that I think people make is to assume that we can handle this in a logical, objective, abstract kind of a way. It takes a lot more emotional intelligence than that, which means it takes more time. It takes more deep breaths. It takes a whole lot more listening to be able to get the engagement to move down that road. It takes a lot more discovery in the process. Absolutely. Yeah. And we see it all the time, especially when you have people who um, believe that they're quite intelligent. They think highly of themselves. <laughs> right. 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 Yeah. You try to get a whole lot of these really intelligent folks who are amazingly skilled. They have amazing skills, deep wells of professional technical knowledge. And then they have to deal with something that isn't really a technical kind of a problem. It's a culture problem or it's an equity problem or, you know, there are folks like the community that we serve is really feeling left behind. That's not a logical, uh, that's not a purely, let me say it that way. It's not a purely logical problem. There are emotions involved and there's humanity involved. Absolutely. And when you miss that, it leads to frustration for everybody involved. Um, Absolutely. And I think about it as a mediator. Some of my favorite mediations were, are, were when people would use the terms irrational or crazy. And because whenever I heard one party say, oh, I can't believe they're asking for this or they're doing this. It's completely irrational. I'm like, oh, I know what the other side's going to say. I go in and they say, they're completely irrational. This is crazy, right? And um, and if you think that rationality or logic is going to save uh, either one of those things are going to save the day, you're going to be woefully mistaken. And a lot of times the uh, the things that we think are logical or rational are and are very subjective. Absolutely. What's logical to you might be, you know, something that seems, you know, pie in the sky or on the clouds to me. 
one of the things that we talk about with just this kind of problem is you know, there, most everybody has heard about you know, listening uh, and being able to reflect what people say, being able to you know, reframe what people say. So someone comes to you and they're, ex they're expressing their frustration in this difficult conversation. So active listening, we're going to say back to them in a different way what they've said so that we're showing them that we're listening to them. And a lot of times in these conversations, the person goes, oh, okay, no. And they say it again. And they say the same thing. You're like, I just did the whole like paraphrase kind of thing back. Okay. I'm going to quote them this time. I'm just going to prove I'm listening to them by, I heard you say, and then you just quote to say exactly what they said. And when they go, oh, no, that's when they need to feel heard, not be heard. And that is a completely different process. Now we're not talking prefrontal cortex of your brain, you know, right behind your forehead. Now we're talking the, the you know, like what we call your reptilian brain, your, your amygdala. It's your emotional center. You know, if you put one finger above your ear, kind of by your temple, and one in the middle of your forehead, where those two lines intersect, you have, the amygdala hangs out in your brain. And it, when it is stimulated, it is harder for people to hear, to do that logical, rational, objective, analytical, abstract thinking, which belongs right behind your, your eyebrows, basically, in your prefrontal cortex. So if people are gripped by emotion, then you might need to say, you know what? I can hear the frustration in your voice. Can you tell me more about that? Or, you know, what I think I'm hearing in your voice is, you know, is that anxiety? Can you help clarify for me? I, you know, what, what's happening? How can I, how can I be of support to you in this? And sometimes people have to work through the emotion part before they can get on to the, the, the being heard part. Absolutely. And that is an, an expert level distinction, being heard versus feeling heard. And again, if you think about it just completely logically and rationally, well, I repeated back to what, what they said, so clearly I'm understanding it. But if you don't understand the psychology that's lying beneath the surface, you're going to try to solve the wrong problem with the wrong tools. Absolutely. You know, there's a great saying in leadership is we hire people for their technical skills and the whole person shows up for the job. You know, you got to remember that whole person is there. It doesn't matter how logical and analytical you are or the situation might be. In the end, it's people there. And I think the COVID crisis and the pandemic, it was such an object lesson for us as a world and certainly as a nation that people, no matter how fantastic they are at their jobs, like look at all these amazing healthcare providers who are saving lives as best they can and bringing everything that they have to work. And still they have emotions, they get burnout, they feel an incredible amount of pressure and they can't do, they can't save everyone that they want to you know, try, they want to try to save everyone and it's just not possible. So the whole person is there and it's, it's more than their physician skills or their nursing skills or their respiratory therapy skills, uh, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. It's really important. And I, I think that human element is often overlooked too. And in our 
business world, just the professional world in general, there's this cult of busyness where it's almost like a, a, a busy off, like, ooh, who's busier than the other person? And so when we keep on telling ourselves we're busy, we're busy, we're busy, then a lot of the human element is lost because we try to take shortcuts in these conversations. And if we take those shortcuts, what ends up happening is that <laughs> mistakes happen and then the conversation gets messy. And even though we're trying to take a shortcut for the sake of expediency and efficiency, it becomes a lot less expedient, a lot more inefficient because now we have to clean up a, up a mess because we tried to move too fast. Does your company invest in professional development training? If you believe that your team would benefit from a negotiation workshop, all you need to do is go to our website, fill out the workshop request form, and then we'll set up a time to chat. These workshops are completely customizable and we've done them all around the country. Negotiation and conflict resolution skills are beneficial across all professions, but they're especially useful in procurement, purchasing, sales, sourcing, and contract management. Our calendar is filling up quickly and we even have some workshops scheduled for next year. If you think you might want one, I'd suggest reaching out soon so you don't miss out. Check out the link in the description to learn more. And now, back to the show. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing, new currencies come and go, decades of savings lost in days, all showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee, quite simply, isn't enough. So more than a retirement plan, TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life, a promise that pays off. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. From the minds of visionaries to the desks of disruptors, I'm Laura Schmidt, host of the Redefining Work podcast. Join me each week as we explore the new world of work through the lens of those shaping it. CEOs, HR leaders, investors, and more. Be a part of the conversation that changes everything. Subscribe to Redefining Work today. Yeah, and you know that that shell of efficiency is in some people's comfort zone, and that's like a wall of protection for them. Some people are really comfortable with the task-oriented sort of cognitive conflict skills. And other people are much more comfortable with the feeling-oriented, what we call the affective conflict skills. So the task-oriented skills around conflict are like, let's stay busy, let's get these things checked off the list and divide and conquer kinds of, of approaches. And the feeling-oriented ones are much more about, you know, let's be here with each other. Let's be witness to what's happening. Let's discover the intangibles that are here and how the situation is impacting our relationships. And you have some of those tasks, cognitive oriented people, and they're like, oh my God, are you kidding? Are we really going to do this? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. It, it's tough. It's tough. It's like fish and birds. Yeah. And yeah. so let's say for you as a coach, if you're working with somebody who's more task oriented in the way that they resolve conflict, how do you coach them to a point where they're more willing to lean into the emotional aspect? Oh, that's a great question. So in coaching, typically someone will call me up and they're like, I'm having this problem. And a lot of people I work with are not one-off coaching. I work with them for two years, three years while they're going through the leadership institute that they're enrolled in. So I get to know them very well. And so I have these, you know, long notes that I'm also keeping. And when that situation happens, 
typically I've worked with them for a few months at least, and we've talked a few times and I can say, you know, this situation sounds a little bit like one that we've talked about before. Let's talk about how, what your approach is and you know, the way we dissect what their approach is. And eventually we get to the part of the conversation of, so how's that working for you? Because obviously it's not working if they're calling me, right? So what else? What are the other kind of approaches? One of the big things to, to do as a coach is to help people become aware of their own bias because we all have bias. You know, it's like we all have a personality. And one of my great teachers, a man named Roger Pierman, always said, everybody has a personality, but you don't want to be had by it. Uh, isn't that a beautiful saying? And I, if we're going to translate that, what does that look like in real life? Let's just use extroverts and introverts. So someone who is an extrovert and is had by their personality never shuts up, right? They just keep going. They're so excited. They're finishing other people's sentences. They've kind of been had by their personality. And what they need to learn to do is to breathe before extroverting. Absolutely. And I love how you use the term extroverting, like as a verb. Um, one of our other guests, um, Beth Bulow, she is uh, an introvert. She had a uh, she has a book called The Introvert Entrepreneur. And um, she uses the terms introvert and extrovert as verbs, too, because she says, yes, I am an introvert, but I do recognize that sometimes I need to extrovert in order to be effective. And again, it takes a lot of self-awareness to recognize what your typical pattern of behavior is. So at those strategic times, you can still authentically kind of step outside of yourself because you know that's what the situation calls for. Absolutely. You know, and there's a whole area in the in leadership that is called psychological safety. For the past 20 years in leadership, I've been teaching the concept of thought diversity, and it's been so exciting to see different areas starting to come together and thought diversity moving into a, a, a little bit broader area of psychological safety. So that's the idea of, as you, as a leader, when you have people come to your organization, they're your teammates, you are laying an organizational table. And just like if you were going to be throwing a dinner party, you want everybody to feel welcome there. You know, you want them to be able to put their ideas on the table and to be able to taste what's there and experience something new and share back. In an organization, you want people to be able to feel welcome to put their ideas on the table, take in other people's ideas, share back, create new. And you have to lay an organizational table that makes people feel welcome. And part of that is thought diversity. So let's go back to our introvert and extrovert example. If the organizational culture is one of extroversion and all teams and all organizations have a culture, then you might have brilliant ideas from your introverts, but they never get heard. So you haven't made a welcoming culture then. Makes sense. Yeah. And the psychological safety, uh, I've been glad to see it picking up more steam and getting a lot more recognition. And for those who don't know, when you think about just the basic definition of psychological safety and what it means for organizations, how would you define it? So psychological safety is the idea that people can come into your teams and into your organization. And although they may have different training, they may be different types of people, be different personality types, they may have some different goals, that the culture respects them, it welcomes them, there's a place at the table for them. So it is, you could also look at it as there's an absence of shaming behaviors. 
in the in the organization. So we're listening to other teammates as equals and being able to move ideas forward in a really collaborative way. Makes sense. Yeah. And I, listeners, too, if you are a leader of any sort looking more into psychological safety, I think that's going to be critical as you start to lead teams. It's, it's really, really important. And Claudia, with the time that we have left, when you think about the conflict resolution and effective communication skills of leaders that you've seen over the years, what is it, in your opinion, that separates the good leaders from the great leaders when it comes to their ability to communicate? So I think that great leaders are able to communicate blending all of their technical skills with emotional intelligence. So they are able to harness speaking to groups in ways that they can speak to be heard. So one of the ways that's important about speaking to be heard is understanding the situation that you're in. If you're in a crisis situation, you speak differently, you communicate differently than if it's ordinary times. One of the things the research shows about communications is that, you know, let's let's talk about flu shots. You know, in a normal year, we want people to get their flu shots. We really want them to get them this year. But, you know, even before the COVID crisis, that was something every fall. And folks are going to trust the, those, the messenger when they see that that messenger has competence and expertise. In fact, about 80% of whether an audience is going to trust the messenger are those signals of competence and expertise. So, you know, who are you going to see on a screen telling you to get your flu shot, Kwame, that you're going to be like, oh, yeah, they know what they're talking about. Who's that person going to be? It's going to be my wife, Dr. Whitney Christian. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. And, you know, some of the signals, like there's going to be a a tagline that says doctor or MD. You know, they have the white coat. They're wearing a stethoscope because, oh, a stethoscope is so important to getting a flu shot, right? And we all know that doctors give flu shots, right? No, no, they're doing more important things. And, you know, nurses and pharmacy techs and other folks are actually giving the flu shots. But that's who people trust. That's who people trust. Now, if we go into COVID shots, we're going to, you know, the vaccines for COVID, as we've seen, this has been like turned everything upside down. This is crisis communication. And so when we know that this is a crisis, great leaders understand we have to communicate differently because now 50% of whether people will trust you in a crisis situation is based on your listening, your caring, and your empathy. So you can't come to it and say, this shot's going to save your life. You need to get that shot. Don't be dumb. Get that shot. You can't say that because you've lost the trust of people. It's only about 15 to 20% of whether, you know, of, of trust comes from competence and expertise and 15 to 20% comes from honesty and openness and everything else, including what it is we're talking about <clears throat> is the other 15 to 20%. The 50% half is listening, caring, and empathy. Wow. I think that's that's amazing. That's amazing. And it makes a lot of sense. And it really talks about, it really goes to show just how important these soft skills are. Um, they're, they're really, really critical to your success. So, Claudia, I really, really appreciate you taking the time to, to, to share with us today. And before you go, remind the listeners about the amazing program that you're running and um, how they can get in touch with you if they want to connect. 
Oh, sure. Absolutely. I'm at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill at our Gilling School of Global Public Health. My email is Claudia Underbar Fernandez at unc.edu. And the programs that I've been pulling the experiences from today include Clinical Scholars. Clinical Scholars is a three-year program where teams of interprofessional healthcare providers work together to change health disparities in their own communities. Also, the Food Systems Leadership Institute, which is one of the flagship leadership programs of the public university system, and a global women's healthcare leadership program for OBGYNs called the Robert C. Cephalo National Leadership Institute as well. So those are three of the programs I've been working on for many years now, and we're been just, it's incredible to see how the participants apply the skills to make concrete changes in the communities that they serve. Oh, that's fantastic. Claudia, thank you. Really appreciate it today. It's a privilege to be with you today. Thanks so much, Kwame. Congratulations, you've just joined an elite club. By listening to a full episode, you're now officially on the Negotiate Anything team. So welcome aboard. What most team members do is they subscribe to the podcast because that allows them to automatically get the latest episodes of the show. The best things in life lie on the other side of difficult conversations. Keep learning, keep practicing, and keep getting better. Your relationships will improve, your career will soar, and you'll have the confidence you need to get the most out of these crucial conversations. Again, thank you for joining the team. We're excited to have you, and I will see you in the next episode. I'll catch you later.